0: So, uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up and turn to the book of Matthew. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 uh, as we wrap up our series that we've done this spring on uh, the parables. We haven't covered all of the parables that Jesus taught because he taught in a lot of them. Uh, he, he spoke in many, many parables. It was one of his favorite teaching devices. So we haven't covered all of them, but we've covered several Uh, And one of the great things about parables is we can just come back to them in a few years and look at even more. So as far as what we're looking at this time around, we're in our last week today. And so we're going to be looking at uh, one of the parables, one of of the more famous ones, and it's going to be in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew 25, or you're going to be reading along on your phone. If you don't have it, that's all right, because we will have the text on the screens next to me, so you'll be able to follow along there. So no worries if you don't have your Bible or if you can't find it. All right, well, if we're all ready, we're going to go ahead and read this passage and then jump into it to see what we have to learn today. So in Matthew chapter 25 and starting at verse 14, Jesus speaking says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So, we're looking at this parable today. This is, one, this is the longest parable that Jesus taught, and it is one of the most popular, or one of the most famous, at least. I'm, I'm sure that many of you here have heard of it before. But, as we look at this parable today, I want us to start by asking this question, which is this. What on earth are we here for? <laughs> right? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What on earth am I here for? What on earth are we here for? Especially in light of this, let me ask you this question. If you've been a redeemer, you've heard me ask this before, but if the point of Christianity is just to make sure that you don't go to hell, if, if the whole point of, of Christianity is just to get your sins forgiven uh, and make sure that one day, whenever you die, you don't go to hell, you don't go to that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, like you like read right about there at the end. You know, it takes a dark turn there at the end of that parable. Uh, if the whole point is just to make sure that we don't go to that place, right, well, then why are we here? Why isn't it that after you become a Christian, why isn't it that after you're saved and your sins are forgiven, then you don't just, you know, poof, vanish, and then go to heaven, right, or that that God doesn't just go ahead and, and, and ascend you up and bring you into heaven, because if that was the whole goal, well, then goal accomplished, right? So what's the point of you being saved, justified, Right, Standing before God now, uh, innocent of all guilt, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but then being left here with all the dangers and perils of our world, with all the sufferings of our world, with all of the ongoing opportunities that you and I have to just really make a mess of ourselves in our life. Christian friends in here, if you've been following Christ, how many times have you thought to yourself before, boy, it would have been a lot easier if he just would have taken me after I received him as Savior, right? Because you're still struggling with sin and so on. And so what's the point? What on earth are we here for? Is it so that we can prove ourselves, right? Is it so that we can prove our salvation, right? He saves you and then he leaves you here to see did it really take, <laughs> right? Or so that you can earn it, so that you can pay him back, in a sense? No, that's not why. The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace alone. That means salvation, your sins being forgiven, you going to heaven rather than hell one day, is a free gift from God, paid in full by the blood of Christ. You don't, have, you don't earn it at all. You don't have to prove anything for it. It is given to you to be received. So once again, what is the point. What if you aren't just saved so that you can get out of hell, but that you are but that you were saved for a purpose? In our, in our modern day time, whenever we live in a world which often seems meaningless, you know, modern men and women often ask the question: what is the meaning of it all? And is there a purpose for my life in the face of a seemingly seemingly meaningless world? What scripture tells us is that Jesus Christ gave up his life on your behalf, died on the cross for your sins, not just so that you could be, uh, you know, the the beneficiary of God's goodness, but so that you might then be a participant in what God wants to do in redeeming and restoring the world. What if you were saved, not just that you gave your sins forgiven, but so that you could join in the story? right? So that you could join the fellowship on the quest, so that you might take up arms in the army of the Lord, because he has a purpose for you that he wants you to live out after that salvation, after that being saved. That is what this parable teaches us about today. That is what this parable is highlighting for us that I want us to see. Like I I told you guys last week, last week and today, as we finish this series, is all about stewardship, so about stewardship? Stewardship means to manage something that doesn't ultimately belong to you, right? If you're a broker, you receive other people's investments to manage it on their behalf, right? Generate more wealth and then give it back to them, right? You're managing something that doesn't ultimately belong to you. You're a steward. Well, last week and this week today, and as we uh, look at this passage in light of those questions and that purpose I was talking about, we're considering that once again, it's a topic of stewardship. What do we do with our lives and ourselves? in this in-between time. We're going to look at the three main characters in this story and what we have to learn from all of them. So the first one being the master of the story and what we learn from him. The second, it's not one character, it's a group, the two good servants and then uh, the wicked servant. So we're going to look at the master, we're going to look at the wicked servant, and then the two good servants. So let's start by looking at the master in this story. Like I said, we live in the in-between. If you're a Christian... If you've been saved and you're following Christ, then we live in the in-between of that salvation or as we, the, the theological term justification before God and then being brought home, right, to being brought to heaven, freed from, from sin, freed from the flesh and, and so on to live with God forever uh, in, in, his, in the paradise of his presence, right? We live in the in-between and this parable is about the in-between, because if we were to zoom out here from just this one parable that we read, if, if you notice, we kind of jumped into the middle of a context here. Because Jesus starts off by saying, for it is just like. So it is it, right? So if we zoom out here from, from, and look at the context of this parable and what's going on, Jesus has taught them about uh, what life is going to be like after he has completed his work on earth. Because Jesus came, he had his ministry on earth, he had his uh, crucifixion on the cross, his resurrection, but then his ascension. Right where he, he goes back to heaven preparing a place for us and waiting until the Father uh, has established his time to finally and completely redeem and restore the world, Right, do away with sin, do away with death, pain, suffering, all of it, and restore all of creation back to the way that he intended it would be. And so there's this in-between time from the time that Jesus ascended that we read about in Acts chapter 1, and then the time that we as believers are all looking forward to whenever God is going to finally, fully, completely finish his work, like we read about in Revelation. So we live in the in-between in a lot of, in a, in a lot of different ways, in a, in a lot of different layers, I guess you could say. We live in the in-between of our salvation. We've been saved, but we're still kind of waiting to be saved. <laughs> We've been justified, but we're still waiting to be glorified. Right? Christ has completed his work. He has achieved victory over death, but death still has to be finally subdued right? We live in this in-between time, and that's what Jesus is teaching his uh, disciples about in the context of of this passage. He's teaching them about the in-between and how they're supposed to be living their lives in the period of the in-between. And so he teaches them this parable about the ten virgins. Maybe you've heard that one before. And then after that one, he goes into this one here, teaching them this parable about this master and his servants and how he distributed talents to them to be stewards over. What are we supposed to be doing in the in-between? that's what this parable is about. Let me give you the first big point on this passage based off of the master. So just like the master, God entrusts all people with a portion of his resources, expecting them to act as good stewards of it. God entrusts all people with a portion of his resources, expecting them to act as good stewards of it. So when we read the story, we see it says there's a master who is about to go on a journey, but before he leaves, he gives uh, a a portion of his property, his estate, to his various servants for them to manage and take care of while he is gone. So that's an obvious allusion to Jesus, right? Who is the master and who is about to go away on a journey, right? Speaking of his ascension, and his disciples are left to to steward, right? That's what it's referring to as Jesus here. And so in the story of these, the the master gives talents now. Talents in this context don't mean the same thing that we mean where we talk about talents, but there's a strong connection. I'm going to explain it. So whenever Jesus talked about the master of this story gave his his servants talents, he was actually referring to a unit of currency. Uh, The talent was the largest unit of currency that they had uh, in the Greco-Roman Empire during this time. So just like the, the largest bill that we have is the $100 bill. Right. So in the same way, they had different units of currency and different, uh, you know, different units and so on. The talent was the largest one. Scholars talk about exactly how much was it worth? Was it you know, some say it was one talent was an enormous amount, like like 20 years worth of wages. Others say that it wasn't necessarily that much. But a talent, this big unit of measurement for of currency in the Greco-Roman times, it was a lot of money. Whether it was a couple of decades worth, whether it was a couple of years worth, one talent was a whole lot of money. And so that's what it's referring to. Whenever Jesus says that the master gave them talents, he gave them uh, different sums of money. It says that he gave uh, these three different servants a different amount to each of them so they might put it to work through investments, right? Through loans, through entrepreneurship, and so on, or even through just putting it in the bank, letting it accrue interest in the bank. He gives it to them to manage and steward so that whenever he comes back, there might be more than what he had left them with, right? He gives it to them so they they might be faithful in multiplying and growing it, putting to work what he had given them. So that's what the talent is. But over the years, as uh, As the Christian church was teaching the story, and then especially uh, in in the Protestant Reformation, as uh, preachers were applying this story to their congregations, they read and understood that if we really grasp this story rightly, then we understand that this story isn't just about money, but it's about all the things that God has given us to be stewards over during this life. It's, It's not just about your money, but it's about all the possessions that you have. And how you're using all those possessions uh, for the glory of God. It's not just about your possessions, but it's about uh, the natural giftings and skills that you have, right? Uh, whether whether you are strong or whether you are intelligent or whether you are educated or whether you uh, you, you have a you have this empathetic healing personality that can that can that can help people and work through stresses and traumas and so on like whatever natural talents and giftings God has given you using all of those things as well to contribute to the growth of His kingdom and to give glory to Him and so as the Christian church was applying this story to their congregations we slowly developed this English word called talent. So the actual English word that we have to describe those natural giftings and skills that you have, right, uh, comes from this parable here, from preachers throughout the centuries applying it to the congregation saying, you know, it's not just how you use your money, but it's how you use everything in your life. It's how you use the, all the talents of your life for the glory of God that he wants to see you steward. So, God entrusts all of us with, with talents, the, those natural skills and giftings. He entrusts all of us with different opportunities, with time and circumstances in our life. Yes, even with different property, but God gives all these things to us so that we might steward it for His glory. Now, that might be a new concept for you. Maybe you've always looked at your life and you looked at your vehicle and the money in your bank account and the, your home or uh, maybe for some of you college students, you look at the, the stash of ramen noodles in your in your pantry and you think, these are mine, right? But if we understand, if we live through a biblical worldview, right, if, if we live according to what Scripture says, then what we understand is that everything we own from that stash of ramen noodles, I have, I have ramen noodles in our pantry too, okay? From the stash of ramen noodles to your vehicle, to your natural talents and giftings, to the relationships you have, All of it ultimately belongs to God, and he has given it to you to manage, to steward, to watch over, to use and employ in such a way that you are multiplying it and then giving glory to him. Consider this. In in Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, it says this. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Why? It says... For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. You see, Scripture, the biblical worldview, describes God as, as the grand architect and builder, right? The, the master contractor over our world uh, who, who laid the foundations, as it says, who, who created this world. And as the creator, he is the rightful owner of everything in our world. Which means even the things that you have, and whether it's the the business that you you build, the home that you build, the opportunities that open up to you, everything that you have ultimately belongs to him because he created the possibility even for all those things, right? Even whenever you do uh, make right decisions, you live a disciplined life, and that uh, reaps for you great rewards, you cannot look at even those things and say, well, these are all rightfully, ultimately mine. To use however I please, God cannot make any claim on these. Even in those situations, we can't say that because, why? Because God gave you the talents and skills to make those opportunities happen, right, or to, to build that business. He gave you, he gave you the opportunities, right? He opened the doors. He placed you in the right circumstances at the right times, right? He protected you from calamity and from all those things of the world that are outside of your control from, from crushing that dream that you were working on. So even whenever you're building and achieving your dreams and you look at the result and say, I have built this, you stewarded everything God gave you in the right way so that that dream came about. But ultimately, it's still God's. Why? The psalmist says, because he laid the foundations, right, because he established everything in this world, therefore, all the world and all its inhabitants, it says, belongs to him. So once again, what this means is, is that everything in our life, we are just stewards over. We're managers, we're brokers, taking all these things that he has given us, whether they're actual possessions, relationships, opportunities, or our talents and skills, to use as he tells us, to be faithful with them, to multiply them, and to use them for his glory. And so just what this means for our life, very simply, is this. Are you acknowledging God as creator and Lord over your life? Are you acknowledging God as creator and Lord over your life? Or are you holding on to all the things in your life, and the relationships and so on, with a really tight grasp? holding on to them tightly, holding on to them with all the control that you can, seeing them as ultimately yours, to use however you desire and to use however you wish, to use them not for the glory of God, but to use them for your own glory, right? Are you acknowledging God as the as the creator over your life and whom, because he is creator over your life, he is the rightful Lord, right, the, light, the rightful owner? All things that you have and do, uh, are, are are due to him? Or are you trying to live as your own Lord over your life without acknowledging the glory that is due to him? So this is what we see when we look at the master and, and some things we should consider. But let's look at the servants. So let's look at first the wicked servant and then look at the good ones. So we're going we're to kind of go in a slightly different order of the story. But let's look at the wicked servant first, the one that's dealt with at the end here. Um, Let me go ahead and give you the point, and then we're going to work this out. So the point here, the second big point, is that those who fail to use the gifts God has given them for his service will be punished by separation from him. That's what we see from this story. That's what happens. Those who fail to use the gifts God has given them for his service will be punished by separation from them. So to understand this, let's look at what happens in this story. Let's, Let's ask two questions when we look at this wicked servant. Let's ask, what did he do? And then how the master responded. So first of all, looking at what did he do? The master gives the talent, and he gives it so that uh, they might, like I said, get a return on his investment, right? so that whenever he comes back, there would be more than what he had initially given him. And the two good servants, they do that. One has five. He, he creates five more talents. The other has two. He gets two more from his business endeavors. But this one, he disobeys. He doesn't employ that talent and he doesn't use it. He doesn't act like a good broker, right? If you ever get to the point, or if some of you guys ever have someone who who manages your wealth on your behalf, you give them over your investments and they are placing it into different stocks and and investments and so on, you're expecting that they're using it wisely. But if you come back to them later and find out that they had just cashed out all your investments and then placed that cash in in a safety deposit box so that nothing would happen to it Well, then how would you view that broker? How would you view that manager over your wealth? You would be quite upset, right? Because they had not done what you wanted them to do. They had not fulfilled the job that you had charged to them when you gave them that wealth. And so this servant, that's what he, he had done. He disobeyed his master's wishes. He did not fulfill the calling that his master had given to him on his life whenever he gave him that talent. So that's what he does. He disobeys, but also notice why he disobeys. This is really interesting here. When the master comes and he has his reckoning with all his servants, he comes to settle accounts. And the one who had taken it and buried it comes to him. He says, here, look, here's the one talent you gave me. I've got it for you. Nothing happened to it. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid. So that's why I went and hid it in the ground. So he disobeys the master, but he, and he disobeys the master out of fear. He disobeys him because he is trying to avoid risk. He says, I'm afraid because I know that you're a harsh man. He says, you reap where you do not sow, and you, and, and you plant, and you, you scatter seeds in, in places that are not yours, and, and so on. Right? He, he's afraid of taking a risk with the talent that his master had given him, and then that, that risk not paying off. Right, Because the other servants, in order to create more, they had to take on a certain amount of risk. Whether they created more talents because they were investing in entrepreneurship, whether they took on more talents because they were giving loans and receiving those payments back in interest, no matter what they were doing with it, there was a certain amount of risk involved. They had to take a chance on something in order to obey their master. But this guy, because he is afraid, says, hmm, I don't think I want to go out and start a new business with this money and then that business fail and my master get back and be harsh and angry with me. Or I don't think that I want to loan it out because what if those borrowers don't pay back and I don't get that money back? So out of fear and an unwillingness to take a chance, to take a risk, though that is what his master uh, charged him to do, he disobeys. So that's what he did. And so look at how the master responds the master responds by calling him wicked or calling him evil. In our translation here, the master calls him an evil and lazy servant. Now, we need to ask here because those are some strong words, right? Those are some strong words to use about somebody who's just a bad broker, right? Why call him wicked? Why wicked? Why evil? Here's the reason why. Because the reason why he was afraid and the reason why he he didn't invest and do the job that he was supposed to do is because he was only concerned about himself. That's why. That was the great motivating difference between this wicked, evil, lazy servant and the good servants. The good servants received that job. They received that, that commissioning from their master. And so despite the fact that there might've been some risk involved, despite the fact that they would have to take a chance on a business or on an investment, they went for it because they were concerned not just about the risk that it was involved for them, but they were concerned about obeying their master with the resources that he had given them. You see, so they were more concerned about their master and his word than about themselves. But this wicked servant, this evil one, he is afraid. He doesn't take a chance. He's unwilling to take a risk. Why? Because he cares more about himself. He's more centered on himself and the consequences of what might happen to him than the obeying the wishes and the commissioning that his master had given him. That's why his master calls him wicked, evil, lazy. He was concerned about himself. Now, I think that we might be able to see how this can create a pretty clear parallel into our own lives, how often in our own lives we disobey God because we are more concerned about ourselves than we are concerned about the commissioning that God has placed on our life. You see, in a sense, we can kind of zoom out just from the specific topic of this parable here. We can zoom out and look at the whole of the Christian life and gain an understanding of what sin is. We talk about sin in the church, right? You you guys, people talk about sin, but what is it well, essentially what we can say, and this would be very simplified, but essentially sin is being centered upon ourselves rather than being centered upon God. Sin is being more concerned about ourself rather than being concerned about God. It's being concerned about our own wishes. It's being concerned about what we see as, as our wisdom and what we see as our dreams and what we see as our plans for our life. Rather than being concerned about what the the commissioning that God has placed on our life, so whenever we talk about sinning against God, right? Whether that is breaking one of the by breaking one of the Ten Commandments, whether it's telling a lie, whether it is it, it, it's lust or adultery or something else like that, whether it is stealing, but whenever we sin, before you ever go and do any one of those sins, before that ever happens, what is happening beneath the surface in our heart? is that we have made a conscious decision, right? Like if I tell a lie, before I told that lie, I decided in my heart, you know what? Saving skin, right? Or saving my, the people's perception of me in this situation or avoiding the consequences that should be due to me is more important to me than honoring what God says about my life, so that's why I'm going to tell this lie. And then I tell the lie. In, in the same way, before you ever commit any sin in your life, what you're doing in your heart, you might not think about it quite that consciously in the way that I just laid it out, but what's happening in the dynamics of your heart is that you're making a decision to be self-centered, selfish, we might say, rather than placing our trust and placing our lives centering ourselves in what God says and what is his desires, and what is his wisdom, and what he has commissioned us to do in our life. This is the heart of sin in all of our life. And and you see, it's also the sin that we commit in our life, whenever we as Christians, let me just talk to you for a moment, if you're a Christian in here, if you're you're following the Lord, uh, you, you know that you're saved, right? Because maybe some of us don't quite know yet. But let me talk to those of you in here who are Christians. Whenever we read this parable, and we know, you know what? I've been living more by fear than by faith, right? I have been avoiding risks. I have not been living out the commissioning that God placed on my life because I'm afraid of taking a chance, I'm afraid of what might happen if I, if I take this chance, if I take this risk. Whether it's something like, you know, that is in ministry or whether it's just something in life that you know that God is calling you to take this risk in your career. He's calling you to take this risk in your relationships, but you're holding back from it. Friends, whenever you do that, you're committing a sin of being centered more on yourself than you are on being, cent- and being centered on the wishes of our master, You're choosing your own desires over the desires of our Lord and Savior. How often have we acted exactly like this wicked, lazy servant in this parable here? We're out of fear. We're out of a lack of confidence in God's calling on our life. Where we're trying to protect ourselves from disappointment, whatever it might be. We don't use our talents as we know God is is wanting us to use them. Here's a further application of this. How many of us are professing with our mouths that we are following Christ, but the evidence of our lives does not match what we are professing with our mouths? That's very similar to this servant too. The servant who was glad to receive his master's talent but then not live out what he was supposed to be doing with his master's talent, right? That is the same exact thing, friends, in our life. Whenever the confession of our lips does not match the testimony of our life, whenever we are willing to go around confessing that we we are followers of Christ and that we have received forgiveness of sin, that we have received salvation, that we're looking forward to going to heaven one day, but the reality of our lives does not match that confession at all. So let me ask you, are you an unfaithful steward of the talents God has given you? Have you been an unfaithful steward of the talents that God has given you? Christian, disciple, right, fellow believer, have you been held back by fear in your life lately, recently, or or, or in the past even? Have you been held back by fear? Have you been avoiding risk or trying to protect yourself from disappointment and not taking those bold, daring acts of faith that you know that God has been calling you to? Taking advantages of the opportunities placed before you or, or, not, allowing, or not giving over to him your talents and skills to be used as he desires and to, and to give glory to him? Have you been an unfaithful steward? And maybe for some of us in here, you're, you're not a Christian yet or you're, you're exploring, you know, you're, you're trying to figure this thing out. Well, let me just encourage you to look at your life as well, because even if you are not yet following him, all the things that he has given you, he has given to you so that you might use uh, as a participant in what he is wanting to do in the world. Like I said before, he has a purpose for you in your life. His goal is not just to give you your get-out-of-hell free card, right, and then let you go on your merry way, but that you might be one of his good, profitable, faithful stewards. If that's you, let me encourage you to first receive the gift. Receive the gift of salvation that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus, You see, what we all deserve is the consequence of this wicked servant because we have all squandered the resources that God has given us. We have all broken his laws. We have all lived our lives centered on ourselves rather than being centered on him. And so what we all deserve for those things is to be cast out of his presence into the place where Jesus says here, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The only reason that any of us have even the opportunity to not go there, but to join in with the cadre of good servants, is because Jesus Christ, the master of this story, took on himself the consequence, the punishment that should have been ours, right? The only reason that I have the hope of not going to that place one day where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth that I deserve is because Jesus, who is the master, took my place. He received that consequence on himself so that we might receive the gift and the joy of his father, And so if you look at your life and you say, yeah, I don't know where I'm at. You know, I, I'm not sure if I've been following him or not. I'm not sure if I'm one of his good servants or if I'm a wicked servant. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, I know where I'm at, and I don't like the side that I'm on. I don't like the future that this parable talks to me about based on the trajectory that I'm on right now. Here's the key. The key is to not try to start moving your investments around. The key is to not try to say, okay, well, I need to start using my talents, as he says, or I need to start following his rules. We'll get to that. First, you have to receive the gift. You have to receive the gift that Jesus Christ bought for you with his blood. So that you might not go to that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, but so that you might be like those good servants who get to enter into the joy of their master and then take part with him in in the work that he is doing in the world. You see, all those things, they, they are part of the Christian life, but they come only after receiving the gift. And so if you have received the gift, how do we live as good servants? Let's look at those good servants as we uh, start getting close to the close here. The good servants. God's people will be commended and rewarded when they have faithfully discharged that commission. That's our last point. God's people will be commended and rewarded when they have faithfully discharged that commission. Let's look at the same two things we looked at for the wicked servant, what they did and how the master responded. First of all, what they did, they obeyed their master. They obeyed him. They were faithful stewards over what he had given them. They had invested them into into businesses and investments and and, and, and lending and so on, so that when he came back, they had multiplied the resources that, uh, that he had given them, and they had increased the wealth of his estate. They had increased the glory of their master's name. They had obeyed their master. They had employed what he had given them for his estate. And so look at how he responds to them. To each one of them, he has there. There is an attitude in his response, and there is a reward in his response. First of all, look at the attitude. He tells each of them, "Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master." Now, once again, if what this parable is doing is is teaching us about the relationship that believers have between ourselves and God, where you know we are the servants, God is the master. Here's what that is saying. That whenever you use your life in the way that God has wanted you to, whenever you fulfill your commission, you bring joy to God. How wonderful of a truth is that? How incredible is an opp- of an opportunity is that? Right. So many of us, we, we, you, you work your fingers to the bone five days a week or six days a week, seven days a week, whatever it is, just to make your boss a little happy right, just to get some kind of comment, uh, commendation from the people around you, whether it's your boss, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your family, right, or your parents. You, you work for months and years over in to get their approval, and oh, you're like, whenever you get it, like, yeah, that, that felt good, right? Many of us don't even dare to think that we might Live our lives in such a way, use the gifts and talents and opportunities and possessions in such a way that we might bring joy to God and that we might receive a commendation from Him. What an incredible opportunity is that? That Christian because of the work of Jesus Christ and because of his ongoing work in your life, because of the work of the Spirit in your life, that that the that the New Testament tells us that one day you might be able to stand before God and with, a, and with a heart full of joy, with a smile on your face, but without even an ounce of pretension and self-importance, say, Lord, here's what I have done with, with what you have given me. And that he might say to you, well done. Done, my faithful servant. Enter into my joy. How great is that? And you know what? That kind of a future is promised to you whether you received the five talents or whether you received the two or whether you received the one. Because the guy who had received two received the same reward as the guy who received five. To him, he didn't say well, you know, you didn't, you didn't get quite as much to begin with, and you didn't do quite as much with it, and so really happy with you, but you can go on your way. But the guy, you know, he did a lot. He did some impressive stuff. He gets to enter into my joy, but all you people who didn't do as much, like, thanks, but you can go on your way now. No. The reward is the same for the guy who did big things, impressive things, and for those who, who faithfully uh, employed even the little that the master had given them. Because how often are you guys looking down on your life and looking down on the things that God has given you and looking down on even even the the, the achievements and things that you have done with the opportunities and possessions that God has given you because it's just not as much as that guy. Or it's not as big and, and, and as impressive as that church or that business, right, or that family, But God takes as just as much joy in you faithfully living out your commission on your life with the little bit that you have, as he does in those who do the big, amazing, impressive things. God is, is just as filled with joy over you as he is with any of those others. He is filled with joy, and he rewards them for their faithfulness. So let me finish by asking you this. Are you joyfully daring bold things for the glory of God? Christian, do you, are, do you understand that your life now has a purpose? That you have been saved not so that you can get your uh, get-out-of-hell free ticket. right? You have been saved just not so that you can look forward to heaven, but you have been saved for a purpose today. To join with God in the work that he is doing as a participant with him. And dare great bold things on his behalf, to build up his kingdom, to bring glory to him, and to bless the community around you. Let us all join in in living that kind of a life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the master who, in your wisdom, gives all of us the the various talents and opportunities that... um, that you have for us so that we might um, use them to the best of our abilities, Lord, along with your help and guided by your wisdom. Lord, guided by the wisdom and support of the community around us so that we might use the talents that you have given us to do more than we could have done on our own, Lord. We thank you that we have the opportunity to even do this at all because of the work of your son. Lord, that he took on the consequence that he... He went to that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth so that we might be given the gift of salvation and the opportunity to to join in the work of your kingdom. Lord, would you free us from the self-centered fears that hold us back from taking risks, from daring boldly, and from joining in with the mission in the way that you have expected of us. Father, if there are any of us in here who have not who have not been walking with you, who have not been saved or who are not sure, Lord, they they have been living a life of self-centeredness, seeing their possessions and opportunities and and talents as just to be used for their own glory rather than for you. Lord, then would you invade their hearts with your spirit? Show them your grace, Lord, that is available to them, the gift of salvation that is offered so that they may, may walk in the freedom that comes. With knowing that all of our sins have been paid for on the cross of Christ. And now we get to joyfully enter into your joy. Look forward to your reward as we selflessly use all the things that you had given to us to be wise and faithful stewards over. We pray all these things in our Lord and Savior's name. Amen.